0: Sean, great to have you aboard. Uh, I was out in BC for the uh, BC showcase, the regional showcase of the JPHL, but uh, sounded like another good one uh, all around uh, at the Silent Ice Centre. What was it like from the HC Edmonton point of view?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it was a pretty good weekend for the most part, uh, you know, record-wise. It was good, um, you know, 2 and one record. Um, however, you know, we're pretty focused on standard not so much wins and losses and you know from a standard perspective we felt like there was a little bit more we could do um you know compete and and effort and making sure that there was a consistent uh a consistent game so you know we still have room to improve but you know for the most part it was a it was a pretty good weekend
0: well, and that's what this is all about, is building as the season goes on and, and getting better for that important time yep. where you guys obviously were last year uh, winning it all. And obviously, uh, we have you on to talk a little bit about the JPHL. But let's start with the big news. And you were on <laughs> Edmonton Sports Talk when this all broke down with Tom Gazzola and Dustin Nielsen and Matthew Owanic. Yep. And, wow, uh, the Oilers making another coaching change just from – Your point of view, uh, your thoughts on the change and Chris Knobloch coming in, picking up the first win.
1: Yeah, I wasn't, uh, you know, when I first saw that it happened, I wasn't super excited about it. Uh, I I felt that, you know, they're at a point with the Oilers where this is now their fifth coach with Knobloch. At some point, you got to start looking at the players and seeing what they're doing. And um, that's how I initially felt about it. But, you know, at the same time, you look back and you, you start to see these different per different things that pop up and you know accountability is something that consistently popped up with some of these players and it's like well did jay woodcroft hold these guys accountable enough um you know so that could be one of the questions but for the most part like they have the tools they have the team you want to see more out of them and and it sucks when you see a guy especially when he's a good coach and he's a great communicator guys like that get fired, and and that was pretty disappointing and I think pretty disheartening.
0: I, I am with you on, on that 100%, and yeah, sometimes there is a coaching change and it's validated, but at some point, the buck stops with the guys in the dressing room. You were one of those guys in the dressing yeah. room in the NHL at one point, and when this happens, what are the players doing? Are they looking at themselves in the mirror uh, in this situation
1: maybe? yeah i I think so. Like you know you you look at just the sound bites over the course of the last year. Um, and and everything lends itself to the guys really liking Woodcroft. Um, they felt like he was the most new school coach, the best communicator, um, the guy that was willing to to go above and beyond to to try to get his message across. And you know when you have a guy like that that is is so willing to to do that, um, I think as a player, it actually weighs on you, and, and there might be a little bit of guilt that sets in, um, and knowing that you got this guy fired. Um, but unfortunately, the the NHL is a what have you done for me lately business, and based on the start, it wasn't good enough. Yeah, no kidding. And th- this is a
0: team that, rightfully so, had Stanley Cup or bust expectations. That was I was looking at this team saying. The Stanley Cup final is, if they lose there, that's the only acceptable place to lose the way they were building. I think they can still make the playoffs. Like I I know the numbers aren't great and the optimism isn't great. The players, though, have proven they can turn this around. And we've seen many times just getting in is enough if you have the skills. So I still think they have time to turn this around
1: yeah i would agree with you we had jay bowmeister on our show last saturday and, and he was part of the team in st louis yeah. that was actually dead last in january uh, and obviously he he kind of broke down about why th- you know things happened and and stuff like that and he was mentioning that you know they actually had less games and some of the other teams but you know they were dead last no no matter which way you try to spin that you're dead last and they figured it out they came together as a team and they started to push in the right direction and they ended up ultimately winning the Stanley Cup. So for the Oilers, I think it's just about trying to get on the same page, you know, lock down defensively like that many people have said that they need to. Um, the offense is going to always be there when you have the two best players in the game on your side. Um, you know, so they have a lot of good things going for them. So just get back uh, to playing your game and, and button down what you need to. So
0: how does this, you know, as a player, when there is a coaching change, uh, you know, what do you do? How different is it? Is it simple? Like how, I guess, how confusing is it for a player when a a new coach comes in midway through and now it's a totally different message? What's that like?
1: Well, I I think for a coach like Nalblok, he's probably coming in and just saying like, hey, I'm not going to try to change too many things because if I do that, I'm actually setting this team back you know, a little bit further. So, okay, let's have a consistent message. Let's have a similar message. What are the reasons why, you know, you haven't started off the way that that you have and are you expected to? And I think we all know it's the defensive side. That's been the, the Oilers' Achilles heel since, you know, McDavid's era started nine years ago. So you've had Tippett come in, who's a defensive coach, couldn't change it. You've had Hitchcock come in, was a defensive coach couldn't change it you've had mcclellan who was a defensive coach couldn't change it so maybe it's time to start thinking about okay well this isn't clearly good enough now let's get on in you know onto to the defensive side and clean that up and you know having that coach change well if you felt the way you did about woodcroft well now you almost feel like you have to go out and do it right so you you saw in that first game um against new york well, they looked a lot better defensively, mm-hmm. which basically says you've had it the whole time. Now, can you just maintain it and make sure that there's no drop off? Because if you have that where it's like one or two goals a game, well, the others are being a pretty good spot. Yeah, totally.
0: And it's so amazing that no, no matter what level you're at, it seems hard to get people convinced that good play in your own end leads to great play in the other end. And you were a player and, you know, it just, yep. it's, it's until you, that light bulb almost goes off. And sometimes that light bulb goes off very early for players. And sometimes it's a little sometimes bit later, right? Off. That's right. Sometimes it never does, <laughs> exactly, right? right? It's, it's hard to get it.
1: It's hard to get, you know, whether yep. you're dealing with teenagers or adults, it's the same thing, right? hundred percent it is. And it's uh it's something that with our team, we, we try to preach because, it's the it, it's actually the McDavid rule or the Oiler rule. And I, and I say to my players, I'm like, listen, like you've got to be, find a way to be different than some of these other players. There's a thousand Sean Bells in the world, or there's a thousand Ben Henshaws in the world, or there's a thousand Lucas Masters in the world. Well, what's going to set you apart? And if that player go, goes to play for the Oilers as a centerman and you're a guy that puts up a ton of points, well, how are you going to make the Oilers? Well, you've got to be versatile. You've got to be, you know, solid on the defensive side of the game you've got to be able to go up and down the lineup at any moment and be a factor and be effective and that's how you make make teams and that's how you become a guy that's you know irreplaceable and that's what you want to be as a player you don't want to be you know put into one little box and say okay well we've got a guy that's better we'll just move you out we want guys that can be irreplaceable and no matter what team you're on you can be a contributing factor
0: yeah, and, and and it really does go to show that, you know, you can be this player at this level, and then the higher up the level you go, you might have to adapt and change your game yep. a little bit. And, you know, you were a member of, in my opinion, the greatest world junior team ever in, in North Dakota, and you had guys on that team that were superstars on their team, as we see every year for the World Juniors, and not just stars, like superstars had to wear different hats, and they're not used to it, but they did it, and you guys won.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, Corey Perry is a perfect example, that Corey Perry was the 13th forward, actually, that year. So he wasn't even going to be in the lineup. And then Jeremy Colton, I think he got sick or he got hurt, and all of a sudden, he gets elevated to the top line with, with Bergeron and Perry. And they become, obviously, one of the best lines that's been in the World Juniors in, in quite some time. And then, you know, like even just looking at myself, like I was a, I think I had like 50 points in my, in that year, in junior. But then you've got FNUF that's ahead of me. you got Shea Weber that's ahead of me. you got Coburn that's ahead of me. And luckily at the time, I, you know, I, I was playing pretty well and I, I was able to beat out, um seabrook a little bit for his mm-hmm. spot but like you had some serious players there and you know everybody's got to fill into a role and they've got to find a way to contribute and and it's not everybody's not going to be the power play guy not everybody's going to be the guy that puts up all the points it's making an impact from different spots in the lineup, and lineup and that was one thing that i think that world junior team they understood and, and it was we don't care where we play we're winning this thing because we felt The year before, we should have won it, we lost. Mm -hmm. And it was no nonsense. We're we're ready to roll.
0: Yeah, and, you know, there were guys that scored 50 goals in the WHL that were cut from that team, Ryan Craig and and Stone and and those guys. Stoner and Yeah, fair, Eric, fair. Sorry, that's right. Yeah, my my dad still, as a Brandon Wheat King fan, does not like Brent Sutter because those guys got cut (laughs) from that team. But that's Uh, the way it goes. It is. He had Colin Frazier. He knew exactly what he was going to get because he coached Colin Frazier. And it's not an all-star team. It's a hockey team. And anybody who's ever played on a hockey team knows that, Guy up here does his role, guy down here does his role, girl over here does her role, goalie does their role and the
1: team comes together and that's how you win. 100% like even Mike Green was was on wasn't on that team and he was a superstar in Saskatoon. So there there was good players all over the place but you know guys fit into different roles better than other players and um they just they sacrificed what they what they did best and they said okay maybe i don't need to do as much i don't need to provide as much offense this year Mm -hmm. i need to be perfectly solid on the defensive end i need to be the best penalty killer and that's what we had guys that committed to that and they bought in and you know the rest is kind of history
0: That I call that the greatest world junior team of all time. I know there's, you know, the few other lockout era teams that could be considered. But it was also memorable because, A, you're at one of the nicest arenas that I'm sure you've (laughs) ever played at in Ralph Engelstead. It's just crazy, and it's even better since. And there was that massive snowstorm that forced everybody to kind of come together did it did it i don't know how much you felt it at the time but from the outside it felt like a kind of like a community world junior because everybody was stuck down there
1: yeah it was every single time we stepped foot on the ice there was you know what fourteen thousand screaming fans everybody was coming down from uh from winnipeg and actually i think they sold out the town of beer like it was absolute pandemonium it was it was so surreal because you know, we we stuck to our little bubble for the most part, but the minute you came into that rink, like you just felt it, and we also felt it in our dressing room. We knew, like, okay, boys, like nobody's stopping us this year. We mm-hmm. we added Patrice Bergeron to our team. Uh, we added Corey Perry to our team. We added Shea Weber to our team because you got to remember, most of the guys that were on that team had actually played the year before, and then moved into the following year and then you just add some absolute studs and here we are like we just knew that our mindset was win and there was no win or bust it is we are winning this and we're all coming together and we are going to smoke teams and that's how we felt but when you saw the the fans and how crazy it was you're like okay well how can we be stopped because this this group is going to provide us so much energy
0: Yeah, you guys knocked Ovechkin out of the gold medal game. Like the (laughs) seek and destroy method, it worked. You knocked the best player out. And whether he was in the game or not, I think you were right. You guys were just not going to be denied.
1: Yeah, we weren't going to be denied. It it didn't matter who it was. And, you know, I I got lucky because when we lost in Finland, we had to obviously fly back to Canada, but I played in Tri-City. So I I got a chance to get away from the noise. Right. But I know for a fact, when we flew through, when we flew back to Canada, we're in Toronto and we're walking through the airport and you're looking at newspapers, like the, the headlines were like choke artists and hockey Canada's not the same and all this stuff. And we're like, man, we had this thing one. And if you look at some of the goals, the one goes off a flurry shoulder rolls over his head into the net. The other one goes off Coburn's face. Like these are goals that don't happen very often. And these are the goals that we gave up. And so we just, we saw that and we were like, we are just pissed off and we are ready to win it.
0: Yeah, it was like a year of motivation, right? Of of, of going back. Um, And then, so you move on to your career and you eventually get to play for the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, wearing any NHL jersey, I think is the, the most special thing for any hockey player. But wearing that jersey, what was it like to be able to be a part of that organization in your career?
1: Yeah, that was pretty special. You know, playing for your hometown team is uh, is obviously a, a really cool moment in time. Um, it was still at the time, obviously, when they had the bar downstairs and you had to walk through kind yeah. of the bar. And You know, I had buddies chirping me and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you sit there as you're walking through and you're like, who would decide to put a bar next to the pathway? But it was awesome, and you know the fans were the fans were great for the most part. Obviously, it was a decade of darkness, mm-hmm. um, but I, I I really enjoyed my time here. Um, I wish I could have been able to play longer here, but I mean, you know, it is what it is when it comes to your hockey career and, and especially pro hockey. Um, but it was a pretty special moment. Yeah, for sure. The
0: Hometown team is is so neat. I, I think there's a neat story in your career um that kind of brings us to where you are now in the jphl and that's you and clayton stoner uh had your paths crossed a lot in the game and now you're doing it again uh coaching in the jphl as he's involved uh with the island hockey club and you're with hc edmonton but tell us a little bit about how you guys have become intertwined throughout your career
1: it's craziness um We played together in in Tri City. Obviously, we're dear partners. Uh, We like to call ourselves a triple seven threat. I wore seventy-seven. He wore number seven, and we were full throttle on the offensive side of the of the ice. Um, You know, it'd be there'd be times where we were both up in the play, so it was it was a bit ridiculous. But um, you know, we were both pretty good defensemen. um, You know, on our respective sides and then as soon as we turned pro i actually got traded from dallas to minnesota and ended up playing with him in our farm system in houston um so we've always just been kind of connected you know throughout our hockey careers and and now here we are again in in the jphl and he's uh you know the gm for island hc and i'm the gm head coach here for for hc edmonton and you know it just never never changes and we actually had him on our show a couple weeks ago um and we were talking about that and it's just it, that part of it is, is interesting because that doesn't happen very often.
0: Yeah, it it, it is really quite strange. And I, I think it's also a good jumping off point to talk about the, the different coaches and the quality of coaches yeah. and not just the quality of coaches that are quote-unquote competing against each other, but working together. I have yeah. not seen the cooperation between coaches in a league like this I don't even know. I, I might say ever. I mean, coaches, a lot of times that I saw growing up were they wanted to get to that next level as, as opposed to the kids. And listen, we all have aspirations, but the way the coaches in the JPHL work together and the way the league works together,
1: it's pretty rare. Oh, it's super rare. I mean, there was times last year when I think it was Island, so Stutzel and Stoner, um, myself, Baxter, my assistant coach, I think Rally Furster was there, who was the U15 assistant coach, Um, Tyrell Spitzer, Brendan Wiley, Zach Massingham, who was another assistant coach uh, that we had, the Lloyd coaches, we're all sitting in Calgary and we're all at that golf place together just hanging out golfing and you, you looked around and you're like, well, most of these guys are former players. So there's might be a little bit of a different perspective. Yes, we're here competing against each other. And trust me, we're all super competitive people, but we also understand like, okay, this is for the kids. And, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and throw shots at any other league, but at the same time, like, we're very, very much ingrained to not work together. It's, it's OHA versus NAX. It's Southside Athletic Club versus KC and you don't help each other, but for betterment of a league, you want to be able to help each other. You guys want, we want to be on the same, same page. I don't want my kids to hit one of Lloyd's kids from behind because I love that coach on the other side. So Mm -hmm. let's play clean, honest hockey and let's work. And, and we kind of go from there. And, and I think you, you see a better respect between the two teams. And once again, the kids, (laughs) there is rivalry, there is, you know, a different perspective, but from a coaching perspective, Standpoint, it's 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 pretty special because you don't see this.
0: No, I was in Williams Lake for the one showcase, and Langley was looking for a little bit of extra ice, and, and Tyrell, uh, who is the coach of the North Stars program, and ha- yeah. heads that. He's like, "Yeah, I, I make this ice available for you." I I, I honestly don't think that the Winnipeg Wanarks would have helped the Brandon Wheat Kings Triple A team no. when I was growing up to to get yeah, some no ice chance. time, and and it's just it's growing the league, it's developing. Coaches, broadcasters, referees, players, everybody, that's kind of this this mindset. How did you uh, come into this? I know you were with the, the Spruce Grove Saints for a little bit, but how did you find out about the JPHL and, and what attracted you to it to become the hub GM in, uh, for HC Edmonton?
1: Well, I've always really liked the Academy model. Um, so that was one of the first things and then you know I was I was coaching with uh, Saints Gray in the HSL. Um, which was formerly the, the gorillas program. That's how I ended up meeting Richard Nault. And, you know, I was I actually was pretty close to committing to NAX and uh, Stephen Kurtzen came in and when we finally had a meeting and um, things moved pretty quickly from there. So that's how I ended up in this program. And and honestly, you know, you look back and you think about different things you, over your course, your career, your jobs, whatever. And, and this turned out to be, one of the best things ever, um, you know, from a complete growth standpoint. And, you know, the JPHL was slowly coming on board. Tyrell Spitzer had called me one day in the middle of January. And, um, you know, I was, I was just kind of, my wife was pregnant. I had just got a new gym. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I was, I was maxed out when it came to trying to do more. I couldn't, couldn't add anything more to my to my job to because I wanted to be there to support, obviously, her, um, but I also had to support the gym. So I was at a bit of a crossroads, and, and then Spitzy came in and started, you know, talking about the JPHL and, and creating this new academy league. And um, I knew that academies were the best model for development. I knew, obviously, it fit my schedule a little bit better. And, you know, I, I decided that, you know, probably you going to stop coaching junior eight, even though I loved it mm-hmm. um, move into this academy model because it, it fit what I was doing better. And I can also help more kids, um, which is a passion at the end of the day.
0: Well, and I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I think set it apart from, you know, the treatment uh, of the athletes and the coaches. Right. And obviously we're very proud of uh, the, the production aspect that, that we put forth. But the one thing that I think, you know, when you're, a lot of those things are kind of like okay, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. But what is the actual development like? And I think with this model, and and it's right behind you, the the seven yep. performance seven gym that you have, the off ice and the skill work and the development work, along with the games and the schedule. And hey, you actually get to have a life outside of hockey during the winter. What a novel concept! But the individual time and the skill work and the and the uh, exercise and the and the strength building. I think that's stuff yeah. that other leagues can't compete with with our with our model.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, from a from an off ice perspective, um, you know, my my gym does a lot of the stuff for HC Edmonton and a lot of stuff for the Titans actually. And you know, we we feel pretty strongly about the people we have in this gym. Uh, Josh Nil, um, he's been in this business for a long time. Um, he's worked with the Dallas Stars numerous times. Um, so he's got a wealth of experience and, and a lot of the people that we've brought in. Um, to operate in the gym to to help in the gym are all fantastic people so you know we feel really good about the product and, and we know that you know there's a science behind what we do and why we do it and obviously you know in certain points you can push harder certain points you should probably pull off the brake, or you know ease put on the brakes um you know so just from a from a holistic standpoint from a, a scientific based standpoint we feel like we're, we're doing a pretty good job on the, on the off ice side. And you don't see a ton of like, you know, muscle injuries and stuff like that because of the way that Josh programs, a lot of this stuff. So um, from that, from that stuff, we feel really good. Um, The on ice standpoint, almost everybody, at least in HC Edmonton, either runs their own skills camp um, as a skills instructor, or does some sort of skills uh, when they're not actually coaching. So we're, you know, we're, we feel very, very strongly about our program. And and once again, I'm not going to take shots at anybody else, but we feel like we do things a little bit differently than other people uh, in the JPHL because we have such a development-focused model, and it's not all about wins and losses.
0: Yeah, and, and there's family time built in there, and I, I think that's really important. I mean, I don't yeah, ever remember my parents taking a winter vacation to, to do anything, but... With this format, and, you know, things pop up where uh, wildfires happen and, and different things and things change, but it really does give that quality of life for not only the players, but the families and the coaches and everybody. We all
1: need a little bit more quality of life these days. 100%. Like, being done at 3.30 or 4 o'clock and being able to hang out with your family, have dinner that you normally don't, the parents don't have to rush home, you know, rush to school to pick you up, to get something to eat, to go somewhere else. And like, there's just, when you're done your day, you're done your day, go watch your buddies play hockey somewhere else. Go watch your other game that you don't normally think you'd be able to watch. Go do something, enjoy it, have a hobby, pick up something, do extra school so that you can get through school quicker. Um, It just lends itself to a better social, uh, I guess, environment. Um, because you're able to do more stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Quality of life, uh, family life. Uh, you know, I had somebody in, in BC say, you know, this league hasn't just been good for my son. It's been good for my relationship with my wife because we yep. have more time. And, and, you know, that that's just music to my ears. So uh, yep. also, uh, yep. you guys yep. are busy with Hello Hockey. Uh, and I know your yep. buddy Tom Gazzola is busy. I can't imagine what the post-game and pre-game show has been like this year because <laughs> I, I did it during that decade of darkness. So I know yep. what the fans can be like. But Hello Hockey... Uh, such a fun show. We we can't wait to get it at the Silent Ice Center, and you guys do a live show, which, by the way, is you know the the nicest arena in in Canada. That's not a professional arena, uh, but yep. how much fun are you having with Hello Hockey? And looking forward to getting you guys
1: live at the Silent Ice Center at some point. No, oh, Hello Hockey's it's fantastic. Uh, you know, it gives a perspective from not just the Oilers. It's all of hockey, and there's so much. There's so much to be told in the hockey world, from from Europe to to what we're doing to obviously the rink. Uh, there's a there's a story that's not told, and and somebody's got to talk about it, and and we feel like we want to be the ones to do it. And it, it's been a lot of fun. We've we've had guys that are notorious uh, uh, hard asses, so to speak, like Brian Burke. He came up and he's been a fantastic interview. He really kind of you know, opened up. We had Jay Bomeister last week. Mm-hmm. who's a quiet guy. He opened up. So it was, it's really an interesting perspective when, you know, they're not just all fastballs uh, in the interview. Maybe it's a little bit more of a, you know, a fun loving approach to, to what we're trying to do because there is so much negativity in the hockey world. There's so many people doing the hard hitting questions. Well, can we be that, conduit between you know a a spit and chicklets which is so pro player versus what traditional media is on the other side Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so we want to be kind of smack dab in the middle yes we're traditional media but at the same time hey we're also i'm a former player tom the guy that used to play as well and he's also in the media so we you know we can kind of be that that middle ground and and provide a lot of cool stories
0: and Tom, also, you know, you played in the game. Tom was right in the in the media side uh, with the Oilers, so he has a lot of that experience. And I think, you know, having done traditional media, so to speak, for so many years, and and the the post game and the pre game questions that we would ask you, and p- players would roll their eyes, we'd be rolling our eyes in our head as well because it's the same stuff. I think hockey players get such a bad rap for not having a personality because the game of hockey seems to pound it out of you and you got to (laughs) conform and this and that. I think hockey players do have personalities. I think you see it behind closed doors a lot more and a show like yours to be able to bring those out and the stories and this, I think helps the game grow in, in a way we don't all have to be about systems and robots and this, we can actually have personalities and fun conversations. That's
1: how you grow the game. In my opinion, a little bit more. I, couldn't agree more and there is a lot of personality that doesn't mm. that's not allowed out and if you show too much personality somebody's coming and saying come see me in the office and let's let's knock it off but you know the the biggest sports in the states are basketball football in particular baseball obviously and there is nothing but personality in those sports so how can we sit here as hockey being probably fourth or fifth actually maybe even sixth now in the states and say you know what we don't want any personality here because that's not what we do well guess what you got bypassed by nascar you got bypassed by f1 and you got bypassed by mls soccer which which wasn't even in existence like 10 years ago so you tell me what's going on. And you know we wanna be able to tell those stories. So it's trying to find shows like Spitting and Chicklets and Missing Curfew and our show, Hello Hockey. And you get some of these people, your show, where they can come on and they can talk and they can be them. I think that lends itself to a lot of different fans and um, they can actually get to understand who that person is. And I think you'll get more people rooting for you in that way even if you're a villain people want to see what you're doing sean avery has yeah. got shows and he's eviscerating everybody but everybody's tuning into it and they're like oh this is great because the guy's got personality
0: yeah it's that howard stern effect where more people listen to howard stern because they hated him they wanted to find out what he was going to say next but they still yeah. listened and it's it's about exactly that personality Showing it off. I love that you guys are doing that on uh, Edmonton Sports Talk on Saturdays and looking forward to getting you guys out at the arena. And uh, the Winter Championship is right around the corner. And last year, it was a fantastic event. It's going to be even better. Uh, Final thoughts just on that event at the Silent Ice Centre. And if people haven't checked it out, there's a Saints game on November 28th. That arena is is
1: something else, isn't it? It's something else. Um, Words can't really describe it. I mean... You walk in every single day. We spent our we spent our year at our gallerina last year. So right now we're probably the most appreciative group on the planet because there was moments last year where the walls were freezing on the inside because of how cold it was and the heat wouldn't work and all these different things. And and now we're sitting in this facility, and even the practice rink is four thousand times better than our gallerina. And we're sitting back and like this is our home, and you're looking around and it's still not fully complete, but the restaurant looks unbelievable. Every detail, every sight line is fantastic. It's just words can't describe what it is. Pictures can't describe it. You just got to go see it for yourself and to have a winner championship where every single team is there and, and you know, kind of the notoriety that's going to go with it and the media that's going to probably attend, it's going to be a pretty good event. And, hey, we're defending champs and we're going to have to show up and, and put our best foot forward. So um it's i'm looking forward to the event
0: defending champs in the winter championship in the playoffs as well and just getting a text message as we're speaking from guru brandon Awan Cheshin, and the video board is going to be working it's actually going oh, to be beautiful. up this weekend for them, the uh, challenge cup
1: yeah i saw them trying to get it working it was on uh, full rotate as fast as it possibly could and jj screaming brandon screaming <laughs> and like, slow it down and, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic
0: yeah, that that place is going to be awesome. Belzy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, continued success. You guys are knocking it out of the park at every level in H.C. Edmonton, and we'll see you at the rink soon.
1: Yep, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Anytime.